This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's code for a special offer just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. Stay tuned for a special announcement later in the show on how you can win the entire Series 1 set of Discovery pins from Fansets. Star Trek is back, it's beautiful, and it's boldly going. At the edge of the universe, discovery begins, and tonight we embark on a whole new chapter in the final frontier with a brand new crew, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome to the first episode of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion presented by Fansets, everyone. I am your co-host, Dan Davidson, and this is the place where we will talk about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery as the definitive podcast for this sixth live-action Trek series. Tonight, we're going to talk about what we saw in this week's episode, The Vulcan Hello, get thoughts as to what we think might happen next And more importantly, we're going to discuss what this week's episode helped us discover about humanity today. And when I say we, I mean that I can't do this alone. No, no, no. Joining me, as he always will, is my friend, my brother in Trek, and my illustrious co-host, Mr. Bill Smith. Bill, here we are, man. Episode one. Here we are. It seemed like it would never get here at this point, but I'm excited to be here, Dan. Thank you. And uh, I'm excited to talk Discovery. Oh, who is it at this point? Uh, it's been a uh, whirlwind uh, 24 hours. Uh, everyone on the planet now has had a chance to see episode one just about. Uh, it's going uh, to be a pretty cool discussion. And we're not going to do it just you and I. We've got some awesome people here with us tonight to uh, help us with that discussion. We do, Dan. Every week we're going to have some guests to help break down each week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. This week we have two joining us on the dais. Our first guest, he's the founder and co-host of the Tricorder Transmissions Network of Podcasts and its many shows. He might also be found walking around Star Trek Las Vegas in a Santa suit. More about that (laughs) some other day. He's our great friend, Jeff Hewlett. Jeff, thanks so much for being here, man. Oh, guys, I'm so flattered to be asked here uh, for the first episode of Discovering Trek. It is a complete and total honor to be with you. So honored, I almost feel like I'm Klingon myself. (laughs) excellent and also if i were to introduce our second guest with his patented five words and a hashtag i'd suggest this he who fired Uh the phasers hashtag our favorite enterprise extra he's the host of the trek ranks podcast on the tricorder transmissions network where there are no wrong answers he's jim morehouse jim so glad to have you here man Episode one of Discovering Trek. Spoiler right, spoiler alert, this is my number one Discovery episode so far. <laughs> it is ranked number one. Wow. Out of one. Yep. I'm well, sorry enough to great. be here, guys. It's great to have you both uh, on here for this episode one. And, you know, I think we picked two perfect people to join us on this inaugural episode. Uh, I got to be truthful, knowing that you guys would join us after Bill contacted you just made this whole thing feel, you know, right. Um, But Bill, speaking of contacts, before we dive into this week's episode, why don't you go ahead up and uh, open those hailing frequencies and advise our listeners how they can actually get in contact with us. 
Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Sure thing, Dan. You can follow us on Twitter at Discovering Trek, and on Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash discoveringtrek. There you can join in on the discussion and even leave us comments, questions, or suggestions. You can also send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Please remember to tell us your name and where you're from, and do also remember that if you leave comments, they could very well be used on an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Plus, don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Discovering Trek on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or by heading to trekgeeks.com. Dan. Awesome. Uh, and we really uh, hope that all you folks write in, voicemail, send us some information about what you think about the show. We'd love to hear from you. But right now. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you have not watched episode one of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now, or you risk finding out plot developments and character details from the Vulcan Hello. The series opens on an unidentified Klingon-speaking ship to a large assembly about a coming threat. The Klingon speaks of the lighting of the beacon and intends to unite the 24 houses of the Klingon race to fight against those whose creed is, we come in peace. Captain Philippa Georgiou and First Officer Michael Burnham of the USS Shenzhou work secretly on a relatively primitive planet. They use advanced technology to open a well to enable the residents to survive a coming 89-year drought. On Stardate 1207.3, which also happens to be Sunday, May 11th, 2256, the crew investigates the damaged interstellar relay in deep space and discover an unidentified object in a sensor dead zone. As the crew of the Shenzhou cannot get a clear reading due to a scattering field, cautious Kelpian science officer Saru advises leaving the area, but First Officer Michael Burnham dons a spacesuit to investigate in spite of dangerous radiation. Out of contact with her ship due to the communication interference, she finds a collection of what appear to be ship-sized sculptures, along with a big old Klingon. When the Klingon motions toward her with a weapon, she strikes back, killing him. She's teleported back to the ship to be treated for severe radiation sickness and burns. The Klingon assembly holds a memorial service for their dead comrade, Rejak, who they also call the Torchbearer and vow revenge. While Burnham is treated, she has a flashback to her childhood where her foster father, Sarek, he sounds familiar, counsels her in her studies of alien cultures. This causes her to awaken and leave the treatment prematurely to warn Georgiou and the rest of her crew that she encountered a Klingon. Science officer Saru suggests that she's confused due to suffering a concussion and tells her to return to the sickbay. Georgiou believes her and locks on weaponry on what turns out to be a cloaked Klingon vessel. It becomes visible and several times larger than the Shenzhou. The Klingons debate attacking the smaller ship, and if it is consistent with a prophecy, a new torchbearer named Vok is chosen by the group also. Starfleet orders the Shenzhou to hold position and take no action until reinforcements arrive. It is the only line of defense between the Klingons and an Endorian colony. Burnham opens a subsace channel to her foster father. They discuss the unusual behavior of the Klingons and come to the conclusion that 
Some new leader is causing change within the Klingon Empire. This leads Burnham to recommend that the, to the captain that the Shenzhou attack the Klingon ship. The two argue about the Federation's ideals and the right course of action. And after Georgiou orders Burnham to stand down, Burnham disables the captain with a Vulcan nerve pinch. She then takes command of the ship and orders an attack on the Klingon vessel while lying to the crew about the whereabouts of the captain. Saru objects. The, Kling, uh, the captain re-enters the bridge before the attack can be carried out. And the Shenzhou detects a number of incoming warp signatures, all of whom are Klingons. Dan. Wow, that is uh, a really awesome summary of episode one there, Bill. Very well done, my friend. Yeah, that's a Vulcan hello. Uh, lots going on. And uh, there's a lot to talk about, guys. So we're going to open it right up with the discussion, some key discussion points that we want to talk about with the story and the characters from uh, a Vulcan hello. And the first thing, guys, I want to talk about, and we'll start with you, Jim, is what do you think about that relationship between the captain and first officer? from the very beginning of the episode all the way through to the end. Yeah, it could not have been stronger and more well-played in, uh, in basically 50 minutes of storytelling. I, it's my favorite part of the episode, to be, to be honest. It, the, the depth of it, uh, from, the, from the very first scene on the planet, and then this little bit of banter and interaction between her, Saru, and, uh, and Burnham, and uh, when they were trying to just get a little bit tactical and decide what they're going to do. And then all the way to the end, I mean, this betrayal was something that I did not see coming, did not see the, the process coming. And the way they executed that was, uh, was pretty emotional. It was really, really well done. Yeah, I have to. I have to agree. Uh, I, I really like how the the relationship built right from the very beginning. You saw the flashbacks of when they first met, which is something we'll probably get into a little bit more. Jeff, how about you, man? What did you think not only about Georgiou and Burnham, but let's also talk a little bit about what I think is going to become my fast favorite part, and that's Saru and Burnham. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I love that little rivalry they started to set up there uh, between the two of them with, um, with Burnham kind of doubting Saru's assessments and then kind of coming around and agreeing with them. And there's a couple of great little moments in there between the two of them. Um, I'm definitely starting feeling almost like a McCoy-Spock kind of rivalry going on between the two of them where they're going to be needling each other in the future. It's going to be fun. I think fun is an understatement, but uh, yeah. Um, Bill, one thing I wanted to make uh, bring specifically up to you, because I know it's something that we've talked about already before we started recording, is the thing that came out of left field in that episode last night had to be the Vulcan neck pinch from Burnham and the captain. What are your thoughts on that, man? That was pretty incredible and really showed that things are going to go down here. You know, so I'm sitting there watching this on my sofa last night. And it gets to that part of the scene, and I gasped openly to the point where I think I scared my dog. So, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> now, Dan and Jim, I know you guys attended the premiere. What was that moment like in the Arclight Theater? Because you had a room full of Star Trek fans, uh, and you guys all had to be surprised by that. Well, Dan, I'll just start. Dan was sitting in front of me, and I almost grabbed him because I was I was really like a did that just happen moment? It was really that kind of moment where it's like, did what just happened? Do I might I imagine that? Because that was really clever, really well done, well earned. And anybody complaining about that uh, is just uh, allergic to fun, apparently, because that was really, really <laughs> well written and well executed. 
And uh, yeah, it was literally my favorite part of of these uh, opening episodes. Yeah. You know yeah. why I can't complain about that? I'm just going to chime in real quick, Jim. You know why I can't complain about that? Because it didn't last very long. So it just goes to show, I mean, she may have learned how to do it, but she's not as good at it as a Vulcan, right? <laughs> I thought about that too. The captain it lasted, it lasted long enough. <laughs> it's funny, uh, Bill, you asked about the reaction in the theater. Like, like Jim mentioned, he was right behind me and I was actually sitting next to our good friend, John Champion from Mission Log. And during the entire evening, whenever something really cool would happen, we just kind of look at each other and kind of smirk a little bit. But when this happened, we shot each other a glance and both were like, no. I mean, it was just one of those moments. And it was it was not expected, not expected at all. I I was amazed by it. I, I thought it was interesting because instantly I thought about the fact that Spock has tried to teach Kirk how to do the Vulcan nerve pinch and not succeed it. So clearly, right. Michael Burnham is a better study in, in Vulcan physiology or human physiology from the perspective of Vulcans. And I just I thought it was an amazing moment and such a turnabout. Such a turnabout. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving along, and, and, and we could stick on that subject for, for a very long time, but moving along, what did you guys think about the... I guess we're going to call it the Klingon trap and Takuma's plan. I mean, he's obviously had this um, in his mind and, and been working on it for a long time. And it, he executed it really well, at least so far, especially when uh, that uh, battle force showed up right at the end of the episode. Yeah, I totally let's, agree. Let's go with you, Jeff. Oh yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I totally agree. Okay. I thought it was masterfully done. Uh, you know, he's, He's got it in his mind that he's going to unite the Klingon houses around a war that he's orchestrating the beginning of, right? So he's got to figure out how to lure in the Starfleet ships and, of course, send out the, the signal to his other houses to bring them there so they can witness the Starfleet forces arriving, thus proving to the rest of the houses that, that the Federation wants war and is ready to attack them. So I thought that was really well set up, well-timed. He kind of lured them in and tricked them, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was it was perfect on his part. Jim, uh, what do you think about that whole trap? Yeah, I mean, I love the pontificating by Takuma. I mean, I got to tell you, I know that, again, there's been a little bit of uh, pushback on the enunciation and the excess Klingon and how dense those scenes were because they were really dense. You really had to be kind of paying attention. Um, but I loved it. I thought it was really well done, and I loved the stuff with Vok. In terms of uh, how that how, how he stepped up uh, into that role and the relationship that that they had, so Takuma's motivations I I felt were really authentic. So I, I love that part of it, and I love the way he was really uh, pulling the strings on the situation. I think that one of the things that the writers of the show are going to do just so great is explain exactly what's going on here. That's one of the questions that a lot of people have been asking since um, they started releasing information on what the series was going to be about when we got the look of the Klingons. And I think they've started to do that just a little bit. We now know that it's been a hundred years since the Klingons last had any type of interaction with the Federation. We know that there are 24 houses and that the empire has been in disarray for quote generations so they've started to go down that path of explaining what this plan is with the Klingons. And I thought for the first episode, at least they've done a good job in wetting our appetites. But uh, Bill, you had a comment uh, 
that I really think was very interesting and something that I gave no thought to whatsoever until uh, you shared it with me. And that's in regards to Vok, uh, the Klingon who became the torchbearer. Now, we can all see in the episode last night that he is uh, of a different color than the rest of the Klingons, and he is kind of a, has an albino quality to him, I guess is the best way to put it. You asked me if, do I think Vok is the albino from Deep Space Nine, from Blood Oath? That's a really good question, man. Well, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I don't know if Vok is part of a a group or a sect of Klingons who are essentially son of none, you know, who are these outcasts in Klingon society, or if he was the albino. I mean, I'm sure that this albino Klingon had to be derived from from that part of canon to some extent, at least in my own mind. That, that That's an association I can make. But I had to wonder because I have no idea how old Vok is. I have no idea how old Klingons are going to live for or how long they're <laughs> going to live for. And so I thought it could be a reasonable assumption, at least at, at the very get-go, until we find out otherwise, that, that Vok really could be the albino. And maybe there's something that happens between the Klingon houses later on down the road that causes you know, Kor and Kang and, and Koloth to come after him with Dax. Wow, that's wow. That's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good summary, and and something that I would I'd love to see if the writers do a little bit more of later on down the line. What do you think, Jim? Uh, uh, you on board with that from Bill? Uh, I'll tell you this. It's an interesting theory. I uh, I'll, let me say it this way. I like that idea. I would you know, I would be it would be totally cool if he turned out to be the albino. I don't think in any way, shape, or form this writers' room is doing something like that. I mean, anything's possible, but I just feel like that would just be a little too deep cut, too deep for them. But uh, but who knows? Who <laughs> Jeff, knows? Got to get Sorry, your no. your take on this too, man. This is a this is kind of a big one. You know, I'm I'm somebody who loves stuff like that, and I would love to see that happen. But I think I got to agree with Jim. I think that they would avoid uh, doing something like that this time around. You think they'd avoid doing it altogether or just because it's so soon? You know, we talked about in, in past well, series, we didn't want to have too many callbacks to the original series show up in, TO, uh, in TNG right away. Well, Do you think that's something that they're keeping their eye on? I'll, 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 I'll say it this way. And, and, you know, Jim, feel free to disagree with me. Uh, it, I, maybe it depends on how long the show runs. Uh, if you take a, take a series like Enterprise, you started to get more retcons when you got to the later seasons, right? Um, so maybe if they this this series runs four or five six seasons, we'll get into more stuff like that yeah. when they're looking for more material yeah. and connections to other series. I think it's a little bit of both those things, Dan. I mean, the reality is, is when you're when you're given this kind of uh, responsibility to build this kind of show, you have to tell your own story. You can't start right off by layering in something that kind of arbitrary and out of left field. That would, that's my two cents, in ter- just in terms of how it normally works. Well, you know, listen, we'll see. I love the idea, though. I mean, any any kind of connection like that in terms oh, of yeah. canon and history, I'm all for. And, and let me just add, the Vok character, I said it before, that guy was interesting. I, I want to know everything about that character oh, and yeah. see him in action, you know, these next uh, 13, 14 episodes. You know, Vok kind of struck me as as a true believer type. You know, if we draw some parallels to today, which I think we're going to do later in a different segment, 
you know, Vak is one of those who's who's all in. And I think in the scene where he burns his hand, you realize how committed he is. Now, this made me wonder about Takuvma himself. I mean, it, it made me wonder if Takuvma was mad or if Takuvma was inspired. I, I don't know which, because clearly he mm-hmm. thinks he's the second coming of Kalis. And he, he's trying to bring the houses together like Kalis did. So uh, that's what I, when I was watching the episode today over again for the second time, I couldn't figure out which one. And I, I don't know if we're going to get that answer, Dan. Yeah. uh, We don't know if we're going to get the answer, um, but it's a, it's a very good question. Um, I got to talk about the elephant in the room, I think, or the gorilla in the room. I'm really not sure which animal we're supposed to be talking about when we say that, but anyway, I'm going to bring it up and I want to hear from all, uh, from all three of you guys of of your thoughts. And we're going to start with Jeff first. Jeff, was that mutiny? Did Burnham commit mutiny or was it something else? And was she right for doing what she did? You know what, Dan? I think that's the question that they want us all to ask ourselves, <laughs> right? Um, you know, I think as we as we get into f- later episodes and we find out the aftermath of Burnham's actions, uh, we may get an, an answer. But I think in my own mind, I think that she was right for what she was doing. Um, judging by you know our knowledge of the Klingons from the past shows that we've seen, I think that um, the advice that she got from Sarek was spot on, man. I think that they should have shot first and earned the respect, or at least try to, before they were able to light that beacon and summon the other ships. I think it would have been a, a much better scenario in my mind. But who knows? Maybe we'll see what happens in the next episode, whether she's right or wrong. Yeah, uh, Jim, before I get to your comments, I'm going to jump right in with what Jeff said, because something I thought of yesterday is I agree also that she did the right thing based on the information that Sarek gave her. You got to remember in the episode of TNG when Riker was going to be like a student on a Klingon ship and they were all just completely ignoring him or not really giving him any real credit until he punched the first officer, I believe, right in the face and knocked him on his butt. and. And it's very similar to what we saw here tonight. You need to fire on these guys in order for them to respect you. So I don't, I think she did the right thing as well. Jim, what do you think? Riker, Riker gave him the clag. Hello. <laughs> right in the face. Um, listen, it, well, listen, it's clearly mutiny. There's that, that's not a debate or a question. The question is, was it the right decision or the wrong decision? And so, so the way I've been trying to think about it is, did it make a difference? Would if she had fired first, would it have saved lives, and would it make a difference uh, long term? And I think the answer is yes. I think it would have changed the way the other Klingons uh, are are going to approach it. So uh, you know, if they if they see them them firing first, so I do think uh, I do think she was making the most logical decision, which is another element of this awesome first hour of discovery because she's clearly raised on Vulcan and processing things in that way. So, so yeah, I, uh, I, I understand her motivations there. Well, uh, let's go to the most logical person in this panel, Bill. What do you got to say, man? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Jim just spoke. I, I, I clearly am not described that way ever, but uh, I do think it was mutiny, but I don't necessarily know that Burnham was correct. And I I say that because I think that in a way, this was her own personal Kobayashi Maru. I think this is a no-win scenario because even if they fire first on the Klingons, the Klingons are going to destroy that ship. 
And either way, I think we still end up in war with the Klingons. So for me, I, I think it was six of one, half dozen of the other to some extent. Yes, she committed mutiny. Yes, she should go to the brig. No, I don't know if she was correct or not, because ultimately I think we still achieve the same end result. But I, I think the Shenzhou's going down no matter what, but I'm not sure all the other ships are going down regardless. Cause then, cause then they've seen, you know, just like you guys said with Riker, giving him the punch in the face. Sure. So there's a little bit of respect there. So there's a little bit more uh, Avenue for conversation. Well, and, at least yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, it might have made uh, it might have made uh, the case for uniting the other houses together a little tougher if they if they saw that, you know, the Federation was willing to strike first. Right. Because he was still trying to convince them uh, that they needed to join up and, and unite the, the Klingon right. Empire against the Federation. Especially when Takuma's core platform was they're lying to us by saying they're coming in peace. They're coming in peace. Yeah. And wow. here they are firing first. So. But interesting conundrum for sure. I'll tell you what, guys. Awesome, awesome discussion points for this first episode of Vulcan Hello. Um, I can't wait to to hit other discussion points in other episodes because uh, it's going to be a great ride, these 15 episodes. But next, we are going to discover maybe a little bit about our own humanity and ourselves through this episode right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. Fansets is the place for all of your collectible pin needs, whether it's Star Trek, DC, Marvel, Harry Potter, or even Firefly. Fansets has just the pin for your favorite genre. Head on over to fansets.com and check out their vast library of products and accessories. But you should also check out their brand new line of pins just for Star Trek Discovery. There's the amazing Discovery logo pin, which I saw so many people wearing at the Los Angeles premiere last week, as well as the beautifully designed USS Shenzhou. But that's not all. There's also a first series of character pins, and they include Takuvma, Captain Georgiou, Lieutenant Saru, Vok, Sarek, and even Commander Burnham herself. And as an exclusive offer to our Discovering Trek listeners for this week only... Enter the code HELLO1227 at checkout for a special 10% off your entire order. Again, that offer code is HELLO1227, but don't wait. This code will only be available to use until next Sunday, October 1st, October 1st 2017 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Hey, but you know what, listeners? That's not all. You know, this week we are giving away an entire Series 1 set of Discovery pins from our good friends over at Fansets. And all you have to do is head on over to iTunes and give Discovering Trek a review. It's just that simple. Whether it's positive or whether it's negative, we want to hear what you think of our show. And at the end of next week, we are randomly going to select one less, one lucky reviewer for the Series 1 set of Discovery pins from fansets and just to let everybody know this giveaway is open to anyone on this small little planet known as terra prime so get your view in to be entered today fansets a set for every fan and a fan for every set see their entire line at fansets.com and we thank our dear friends at fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for this entire season of discovering trek Okay, guys, time to do some sensor analysis here. We're going to do this every week on Discovering Trek. We want to see, we want to discuss what the episode that we just watched tells us about our own humanity and 
what does it tell us about ourselves as we watch this episode and as we watch this series unfold? So I'm going to pose that question to all you guys. Bill, I want to start with you first tonight. Um, what did you think? I mean, we had a couple quick uh, chat, uh, chats back and forth last night on instant message, but we didn't really discuss too much. What do you think? <clears throat> you know, I think that this episode in particular shows us that there are still those among us who would opt for violence to achieve their ideals and those who would like to take the fight to them, regardless of that outcome. I mean, you can draw a modern day, modern day allegory to, to groups like ISIS, to, to right-wing, you know, uh, fringe racist groups, to, you know, to just about any group that, that really wants to pervert an ideology and use it to their means just to employ violence to deliver their message. Um, that was one of the things that struck me at least about the Klingons as they were organizing and the mission they were going to carry out to bring war to the Federation, no matter what. Whoa. Okay. That's, uh, that's heavy stuff, but, uh, I agree very, very much so. And, uh, Jim, what do you think, man? Uh, anything that really struck you? Yeah, I got a couple of thoughts. I mean, the first is related to, you know, what Bill just said and, and I think that a lot of people are, you know, one of the takeaways is they're comparing Takuma and his kind of Klingon radical cleanse to, you know, our current fiasco president and his Nazi supporters. So, and, but I'm a little worried about that analogy because I think that the, I think the Klingons, they're, they're eventually going to explore them in a really you know, in-depth way, you know, so we understand their motivations and, you know, maybe even have sympathy for them at some point here in this, uh, you know, in this full season. You know, so we'll see. So my, my point there is that I'm never going to have sympathy for these Nazi supporters that are out there in our current climate. So I don't feel like comparing them to, to that kind of uh, group might, you know, is necessarily uh, going to be accurate when this thing plays out. So, so having said that about Bill's, my, my actual biggest takeaway in terms of the humanity and the, the discovering humanity part of this thing is, is really the nature versus nurture element that uh, that that we see in Michael Burnham. So I think that's going to the way they've done it. It's really very nuanced and thoughtful, and I think it's uh, it's a great way to look at motivations and their consequences. So, so that that was my biggest takeaway from the episode. I think uh, I think it's safe to say that this uh, segment every week on Discovering Trek might be the heaviest. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we've got two good examples. Uh, Jeff, what about you, man? You lighten us up or you staying right there? Well, you know, I, again, I had some similar notes to what Bill said and uh, what Jim added to it. But I have a couple other small notes here. Uh, I think that th- the statement made on uh, religious fanaticism, something we, hmm. we see a lot of in our daily lives, too, um, you know, televangelists and, and cult leaders and things, you know, wrapping themselves around a religious cause and people flocking to them. So you've got to Kuvma. He has a, a band of Klingons made, made up from many different houses and even outcasts are part of his group. You know, they're all following the teachings of Kalis and he's using the teachings of Kalis to influence them to, for a greater cause. So, I mean, I think a common enemy has been used often in, you know, the real world, our world as a a unifying force. I mean, even now, right now we have what three enemies that we're being told that we have. We've got what radical terrorists, you got Russia again and and North Korea. They're all enemies that are supposed to unite us against them. So, I mean, there's a, there's a statement here to be made on isolationism and xenophobia. 
you know, the Klingons clearly want their race to be pure, right? Takuma in the rallying cry, remain Klingon, right? He, right. Takuma rants against the integrated races of Starfleet, calling them names and, and showing his disdain for all the mix of the Andorians and the Tellarites and the humans being mixed together and how impure it is. So, you know, given the, the recent resurgence of you know, militant racism, this feels like a really strong parallel. Agreed. I actually was uh, was going to bring that into my uh, North Korea into into the comments I had. I actually have three quick points. Two of them are kind of negative, and one of them's positive. And I mean negative and kind of like it's a sad situation. Personally, right now, I feel that we're closer to war in our world today than any other time that I can remember in my lifetime. Um, and what I think Discovery showed us last night is that in order pre- to prevent war, there are always possibilities. And there may be possibilities that we wouldn't expect. Who would expect to fire on someone in order to prevent a battle? So I think it's good that um, we're seeing that, that people will always uh, use whatever possibilities they can in order to try to prevent war. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting um, was that when they were were trying to figure out what was behind that sensor uh, block uh, in the in the debris field, you know, humans <clears throat> or Burnham's thought was just because it's hiding doesn't mean that it's hostile. And I thought that was a good peaceful way that humanity looks at things. It could be scared. It could be hurt. I really like the way that that dialogue unfolded when she was trying to tell Saru that there are different things besides always expecting the worst. I thought that was I thought that was pretty good. And uh, finally, I was I was saddened that even though it's a different race that what we constantly are seeing in today's world with racism and bigotry appears to be really part of the Klingon race as well. I mean, we saw the uh, shame that Vok obviously had to live just because what was perceived as being different colored skin. Um, I thought that was kind of sad, but also, you know, it's what we're dealing with all the time nowadays. Um, so are we surprised that other races out in the galaxy do the exact same thing? So uh, a lot to take away this week. Um, in regards to our own humanity. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what we got coming up in the, in the coming weeks. But um, guys, what I want to do now that we've gotten over that heavy stuff is uh, do a couple quick hits from each one of you as to what you think were specific things that you wanted to call out in this episode, whether it's good or bad, characters, performances, scenes, etc. We're going to call this the Starfleet commendation section of the show. Um, so, uh, Jim, let's start with you, man. What did you? Uh, what do you have to call out for episode one of Vulcan Hello? Uh, okay, well, my number one was George, you and Burnham. We've kind of carved into that a little bit, both the performances and, uh, and just the relationship and how it was established there. And then we also talked about Vok already. That was that was on my list as well. So let me talk about what I loved about this episode so much was the pacing. I just thought it was really well done. Um, the way they, they took their talk about the things they were doing and looking at different angles and and uh, taking different uh, recommendations on on how to approach it. And I really I just thought it just it felt. I actually put it in my review on Trek Core that uh, it felt a lot like Kirk and Spock and the way they debated uh, the Romulan confrontation and balance of terror. I just thought the pacing was really well done. I didn't just jump right into stuff. And, and the payoff of that pacing was the reveal of the title, which was a really great aha moment <laughs> of writing in the episode when, when you realize what the Vulcan hello meant. Very, very well done. So that, that, that was, those are my takeaways. Not expected either. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> Vulcan hole. Yeah, we're going to kick the crap out of you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bill, what do you what do you have there, man, for accommodations? Well, you know, uh, I've got three. First, I have to really give credit to Michelle Yeoh as Philippa Georgiou. You know, she's created a layered mentor with a sense of humor that just happens to be a Starfleet captain. And I think that's pretty special. She's well-rounded from the time you're introduced to this character. And she seems crafted in a way where Jean-Luc Picard could almost cite her as a personal hero and an inspiration. That was kind of the vibe I got from her. Um, I also really appreciated Saru's fear of the unknown. I thought that was really different for a Starfleet officer. <laughs> and I can't wait to see how that informs the character going forward. And lastly, uh, somebody may also bring this up, but I have to bring up the visuals. This entire episode looks epic in scope, and it's gorgeous, and it's unlike anything we've seen before. And I think it really adds to the drama that is portrayed in episode one. So those are my commendations. I have to agree with that and and not to rub it in, but I'll tell you what, and I think Jim, you can attest to this, seeing those visuals on a gigantic IMAX like screen out in Hollywood last week was just unbelievably epic. Wasn't it? Yeah. It it wasn't all that guys. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. It was the, the visuals are, it's such a great shout out. Uh, The visuals and the effects are really, really incredible level. Jeff, what did you have there, bud? I'm looking forward well, to hearing what you got. I got one that's that's pretty obvious because everybody pretty much has hit on it. And then I got one that I think is kind of out of left field. But my first one is I, I got to give a shout to to Vox, son of none. It's like you guys, we've been talking about it already. You know, the lowborn having the stones to to step up and be the torchbearer when uh, he had no right to do that by legacy. But uh, he took it by faith. And while the others, you know, doubted the word of Kalos, he proved himself and stepped up, you know, and I like the fact that the Klingons now have a variety of skin tones. I think it's a, you know, and they view the paler ones as mistakes of nature. I think it's an, an interesting new aspect of Klingon technology. One thing I wanted to focus on when, when watching these episodes uh, was what's, what are they bringing us that's new? What are they introducing to these existing races that's new? And I think this is a really cool aspect of Klingon society that we're going to see. Uh, and I'm curious to how Vok is going to evolve. I think he's got so much potential. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward wow. to what happens in the next couple episodes to see where he winds up now that he's become kind of the right-hand man. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, absolutely. He's one of my, um, he was one of my uh, uh, picks, but uh, what else you got? Uh, my second one, is uh, continuing on with the what are they going to give us that's totally new, and I think this kind of plays a little bit into to what, what Bill was talking about with the visuals. Uh, I think I think Saluru is great, uh, potentially a dynamic character, great relationship set up with Burnham, and I think he's got good Spock potential. But one really ancillary character that's sitting on that bridge that really made me go, whoa, is that female robot. Yeah. that's sitting on the bridge. She's awesome. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Totally. She makes yeah. a couple little yep. appearances, but that 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 type of a character, bringing that new type of a character into this makes me so optimistic about the kinds of things that they can be done with modern technology, modern makeup, and the budget that this show has. I mean, she almost has like a Star Wars-y type of appearance, like a robot you would have seen in a Star Wars movie. But she's got, you know, screens on her face that display some kind of data. They change from scene to scene when you see her. And I'm just hoping we get to learn more about that character and, you know, what is she, an android? Is she like an early kind of a data sort of thing? Uh, or is she an alien race that's part of Starfleet? I don't know. But it, I'm so excited about this type of a character being introduced. I mean, can't wait to see what they're going to do with more characters as they bring them on. 
I think that's one of the things that's going to stand out in the series is the character development. So yeah. awesome picks, guys. I'm going to throw out my three really quick. Uh, for me, Saru is already my favorite character, just as I suspected it would be. And I was so happy that I was able to actually tell Mr. Doug Jones that in California last week. The mannerisms that he has, his comments, and his clucking are just hysterical. So uh, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to to seeing more of him. We already talked about Vok. I like the fact that he stepped up when it appears that Red Jack's own blood wouldn't when he was going to be the next torchbearer. He was hesitant, and Vok stepped right in and swooped it out from under him. I thought that was great. Um, but uh, along with Bill, Captain Georgiou, I thought was phenomenal. I'm not going to lie. I didn't think I was going to like this character based on everything we had seen prior to the premiere. And I'm eating those words because I thought she was magnificent. Michelle did an awesome job. She's everything we know and love about Starfleet all rolled into one package. Um, my favorite quote of the episode was when she said, battle is not a simulation. It's blood and screams and funerals. I really thought that hit well. And I think the audience probably took uh, that uh, to heart as well. Um, so great job, guys. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, episode one is now out for everybody to see, and episode two is available now for everyone to see. So based on what we saw in episode one, guys, uh, what are your predictions for either episode two or for the entire season? And uh, let's start with, uh, let's go with Jeff this time. Jeff? Oh, wow. My long-range scan is really, really long-range. Uh, I know because we're getting this set up for this war between the Klingons and the Federation. And I don't know how many, how many episodes it's going to take to get through the actual war, but I'm really curious to see where they're going to go with this and how we're going to go from a full-scale war with the, the newly unified 24-house Klingon Empire and how that evolves into the Klingons we know from Kirk's encounters, you know, the Treaty of Organia and the Tense, but not immediately hostile relationship we see in Trouble with Triple. So there's got to be some sort of a resolution to this war that allows the relationship between the Klingons and, and humans and the Federation to evolve into what we know and what we see in the future with, you know, with the Kittimer Accords and the Klingons wind up serving in Starfleet. I'm really looking forward to how they're going to tie those up and bridge those gaps because they're really setting up the Klingons to be, uh, you know, Federation haters. So what's going to happen here? Wow. <laughs> Told we could you go on for a whole, whole episode of that just in itself. <laughs> uh, Jim, I know you got stuff too, man. You always got something up your sleeve. Well, not a prediction so much, but I guess what I'm looking forward to is uh, twofold. And I was kind of saving my Saru love until this segment because I, I, the dynamic between Saru and Burnham, especially after what's played out here in the first episodes, is something I'm totally looking forward to when they, at some point, it looks like they're going to reconnect on the Discovery. So really think that's going to be a, a core story point uh, as they move forward and then the other thing I'm, i think is going to be really fascinating beyond just the 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 arc storytelling here is the it's going to feel like lower decks right you know it's gonna it's gonna be i think these below the line characters uh tilly and tyler and stamets and burnham uh and the things that they're doing on this ship and how that and how that plays out so i'm really looking forward to that kind of new dynamic where it's not always going to be about Lorca on the bridge. So I think, I think that's going to be fascinating. Wow. I, I, I don't disagree with, with either of those prediction guys. For me, I think one of the things I'm looking forward to, and I hope that they delve into uh, with a lot of detail, is I want to know the backstory between Burnham and Sarek. 
we know a little bit about it so far. We saw how he saved her uh, when that colony was attacked. I want to see what it was like growing up with him. I, I'm not going to lie, and I don't want to tie in TOS too, too much. I want to see some Spock as a youngster, and if they ever were together or was he already serving in Starfleet, I want to see some of that backstory connect the series a little bit. That's one of the things I'm looking most forward to seeing and predicting that they will do at some point, whether it's just a little bit. I want to see it in a lot more detail. Bill, what do you got, man? You got to have something, too. You always do. Well, my prediction has to do with the Klingons. And this is kind of a, uh, this one may be a few episodes out. Um, but I think we're going to find out that maybe there's a guy behind the guy. So maybe Takuvma, he's the one that's bringing everybody to action, but maybe his strings are being pulled. So I think we're going to find out there's probably a, a deeper... Um, I don't want to say conspiracy, but a deeper sect within one of the Klingon houses that has put him up to this and is probably going to try to seize control. That's, that's kind of my long-range scan. We'll see how it plays out. Wow. Well, there you got it. We got four great things to look forward to. You know, I think the writers should call on us maybe if they need some new ideas because those are all uh, good ideas on what we want to see uh, in future don't episodes. Don't do that. Star, yeah, Star Trek that. room. If you're listening, do not do that. Don't okay, do go it. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that we always like to do, guys, uh, as we wrap up this first episode is, of course, we want to thank you guys for joining us. We love talking to you guys. We have great times whenever we're together in person, whether it be in Vegas or whatnot. Um, and we've been on Trek ranks and we love Trek ranks and we love all the things that Tricorder Transmissions does. Um, I guess the important thing is, is where can all of our listeners find you guys on social media so that uh, they can get in touch with you to tell you what they thought about your guest appearance here on Discovering Trek? Jim, you want to go first? This is Jim, your host of Trek Ranks. I am on Twitter at Enterprise Extra and at Trek Ranks. So give us a listen. Our podcast is all about the reasons we love Star Trek and nothing else. Jeff? Yep. If you're looking for me specifically, you can find me on Twitter at Warp Factor Jeff. I'm also a co-host on several of the Tricorder Transmission shows, along with Jim uh, on Trek Ranks, also with Heather on Shore Leave, and with Ian on our Drawing Trek series, uh, which is dedicated to comic books. So if you're looking for any of those shows, the TricorderTransmissions.com and ShoreLeavePodcast.com are the places to go. And uh, I can be found on Twitter at TrekGeekBill. And, uh, of course, people can always join our Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Seems appropriate for this particular podcast, doesn't it, gents? That's uh, facebook.com slash group slash Camp Kittimer. Excellent. And uh, very similar to Bill. Everyone, uh, my Twitter handle is at TrekGeekDan. You can also send us information on Twitter to both of us by going to at DiscoveringTrek. That way we'll both see it at the exact same time. Uh, wow. Episode one. Just about wrapped up, Bill. What do you think, brother? Well, Dan, it's been a great time. And next week, we're going to carry it on because on Discovering Trek Episode 2, we're going to take a look at Discovery's second installment, Battle at the Binary Stars. And joining us to break the episode down will be Norman Lau with the Fandom Podcast Network. That is going to be awesome. We love talking to Norm. And also... Just as an FYI, on our next episode, we are going to bring everyone a huge announcement from our friends over at fansets.com. That will be on episode two. 
when we talk about Battle at the Binary Stars. Well, there you have it, folks. We finally have Star Trek back where it belongs on television, looking as breathtaking as ever. And as a fan, you know, I'm just so ecstatic on what we've seen so far. And we here at Discovering Trek cannot wait to share this entire season with each of you. Until next episode, seize the day and make now most precious. Because now will never come again. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.